your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that is more eagerly awaited by nerds than the winds of winter Brought to you by our Book of the Month Club February's choice is You Win Some, You Win Some, The Loser's Guide to Winning by Lance Buchanan. <laughs> hey, what's happened to Roy? Uh, Roy? Outraged. Roy's checks have been bouncing. Uh, it turns out that sales figures were greatly exaggerated. Um, somebody found a barrel full of books in a disused warehouse in Leicester. So, um, oh, Similar yeah. to that partridge incident. Yeah, I, th- I think they're being pulped, yeah. but um, <laughs> I mean, a lot of trees died. I mean, to make those books. I mean, at least three for each book. Um, Jesus Christ! Yeah, that no. Is... So, so we've got a new guy. He's um, he's one of these kind of like self-help, you know, you know, enthusiasts. Lance Buchanan. He's a man born to extreme privilege, who's going to teach you how to be a winner as well. Um, basically, you just need to be born rich. I'm with good genes. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Yeah. So how does he manage to pad that out into a whole book? Um, with lots of pictures of himself and his wife and their uh, three children, you know, doing oh, okay. rich things. You know, it's very Is it is this a inspiring. Vladimir Putin-style photo shoot that he's been doing? Um, you might say that. I mean, it also looks like, <laughs> looks like something you'd see in the cover of Hello! magazine, you know, Peter Andre and latest Muse or whatever, but... Um, so, so the best way of summarising this guy is he's a mixture of Vladimir Putin and Peter Andre. Yes, but he, <laughs> he, lo- he, he looks most like um, Zap Brannigan from Futurama. Oh, imagine, okay. imagine that's what Lance looks like. Uh, nice guy, nice guy. Um, I mean, not really, <laughs> but you know. Is he the art guy? That guy does art? Or am I getting confused? Oh, Neil Buchanan. Are they related? Oh, fuck. Uh, it. <laughs> no, I don't, no, I don't think they're related. Um, now, Neil, I'm sure, has a healthier perspective on life than Lance. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, we're here for books episode 10. So we've, we've hit the magic 10 mark with books, which is our slowest of the podcasts, because uh, it takes a while to read books. Um, I'm Clive. <laughs> I'm here with... Did have some nicknames prepared. Um, all the way from Stockton, the beast from the northeast, Alex Wayne. <laughs> what? That's my name. I think there's, there's definitely some racial undertones to that chant. I don't I mean, think that's so. <laughs> <laughs> that was the start of um, Blues. Blues. Uh, is it Blue Suede by from the Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, Oh, of course. Any racial undertones that were read were read by racist people, so, you know, let's leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, From from London, all the way from London, we've got David Sweet Peeling. (laughs) That's pretty good. I can't think of a noise for sweet. (laughs) How about, oh, hold on. Mmm, good. And all the way from somewhere near the Humber River thing, the human highlight reel, Josh Keithley. Hello. <laughs> human highlight reel. <laughs> the Humber, the Humber River I thing. Think it, 
I think it's about time that someone acknowledged <laughs> that, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, these are all uh, things I found on. They're all sporting nicknames that I've just looked up. So, uh, who was originally a beast from the northeast? Uh, oh fucking hell! I can't. I don't know. I have to look into my history now because I've been clicking around all sorts. <laughs> Some bo- that was a boxing one. I know that much. So you, you'll probably know. oh that boxer was also what a was his name? One. Bradley. Possibly Bradley Saunders. Yeah, Bradley Saunders. Oh, my Wait, obviously, it wasn't. It was the beast from the east, not the northeast. I made that. Oh, all right, okay, yeah. And uh, oh, no, there's one just, called again. That's just racist, isn't it? That's just a thing about Chinese people. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! No? Oh, what happened dear. to what happened to Bradley Saunders? Um, last time I saw him, he was beaten. And actually, no, the last time to I saw death. Him, no, the last time. I saw him, <laughs> And the last Alex time did nothing about it. <laughs> Be funny if it didn't happen in boxing, but he was, pick, he was picking up a pizza from a pub last time I saw him in the flesh. They do a takeaway service, so obviously he wasn't taking his training seriously. Probably this sounds like one of the superb pubs that Alex Wayne has always taken us to before. <laughs> uh, it's actually a, a much posher pub than that. It's um, really yeah. There's there's a in Teesside there That's is saying a, something. There's a housing estate called Wynyard where a lot of footballers live, and it, there's a pub there, and they do they do do good food. It must be said, and a t- takeaway pizza service as well. Hmm. Mm. I've never been disappointed by any of the eateries you've taken us to before. Mm. Yeah. Well, I know. could second that. Yeah. I was disappointed by the fact that um, he, you know, made us all eat an entire Parmo, and then got a uh, what was it? Now I think Lady he- Parmo. Yeah, he. Uh, no, he criticised people for getting for wanting a lady Palmo, and then didn't and finish then, his own, and then didn't eat his own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ate full. a lady. You ate a lady Palmo amount of your Palmo, Al. <laughs> Just because you ordered a full Palmo, that doesn't make you any less lady. Well, I mean, what's wrong with what's wrong with being a lady, Clive? Uh, nothing. Yeah. You're the one who called it a lady Palmo. Uh, well, no, no that's that, obvious. Nothing. I think. I think he's more saying, you know, hypocrisy reigns. Well. <laughs> Uh, anyway, we best talk about some books and not Palmos, even though, you know, maybe we'll start a Palmo offshoot podcast. That'll be fun. Um, right, let's start with Josh. I think, Josh, you might have the most to talk about. Let's go to the human okay. highlight reel himself. What's he got for us? No pressure. Josh Keithley. Uh, well, it's difficult to know where to start. Um... <laughs> have you got a pile of, like, just a massive pile of books? But please, but please do start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the end. Bye. <laughs> um, so I'll, gi- I'll give you the choice. I can either talk about a book that I've read recently or Ooh, a book like that this. I've read quite a while ago and have been meaning to review for some time, but obviously haven't got around to it yet. Uh, which one do you like the best? Go for that one. Well, they're too different to uh, oh, you know make hell. a comparison. Right, new the new one. Okay. Let's go for it. So... Um, Actually, this links to, you know, what I was talking to you. I was talking to Clive the other day about um, the inspiration for a song um, about the Vietnam War and sort of like just saying not to celebrate it or even necessarily to condemn it, but just to sort of, I don't know, I can't remember the way I worded it, Clive, but um, this is the book that made me start to think about that and sort of the way that it is portrayed um it's called dispatches it is written by michael hare who was a war correspondent for esquire magazine and i think vietnam was like one of the most widely covered wars 
in terms of media and like Esquire is more like a fashion magazine for that so for them to send a war a correspondent to cover a war is quite strange really uh Michael Hare contributed to the screenplays for Film L Jacket and um Apocalypse Now and I think I mean I didn't know that until I was just doing some research before this uh podcast started and you can kind of tell like the way that the book is written it definitely does compare to both of those films I was recently watching a film called The Siege of Firebase Gloria on Netflix which is sort of like a typical 80s film which was enjoyable one of the criticisms that I read about that film after I'd watched it was that um, about the dialogue and the main character of the of this film was um, uh, the same guy who was the the drill sergeant in um, Full Metal Jacket, whose name I can't remember now. But from reading the book, it kind of seems to me that actually that was the way that they spoke to each other, and sort of like the ridiculous things that they did actually happened. And this book kind of shows that you know, like I was saying to Clive, basically the war was like just a load of drugged up people killing each other. Like the various pills that the American servicemen were given for various reasons, which they just misused. Um, and then obviously the drugs which were available to them in the country anyway. And it was kind of just like an extension of the rock and roll movement that was sweeping through America at the time, you know, with bands like the Rolling Stones and things like that. And I just think it's just crazy how, like, all of these young men were put in that situation and it's just like what you know what I mean I understand historically or you know the um, the reasons given for the war but then you just think well what actually was the point of it John le Carre refers to it as the best book that he's read about men and war in our time and it was really good really informative um Michael Hare is is credited with being one of the um, pioneers behind like the non-fiction novel. Um, so comparative authors are Truman Capote, Norman Mailer, or Tom Wolfe. From reading the book, the 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 person who I most saw a comparison to was um, Hunter S. Thompson. But but yeah, it's definitely you know sort of like. Very interesting, met some interesting people while he was there and I think it is sort of like very interesting and quite quite an emotive uh, topic, you know, like it had it had more of a, I would say more of like a more obvious effect on Vietnam because of some of the tactics that the Americans used and some of the weaponry that they employed and, you know, which has still got like uh, devastating consequences to this day. But then, you know, it also the the impact that it had in America and I think that the impact that it had on on war really because of it being so widely covered in the media and I think that's then set the precedent for the for the rest of the for the you know for ever since really yeah I mean I've read a few books about Vietnam never one written by a correspondent who was there it was interesting to see it from that perspective and I think really it's sort of like a collection really of articles which he wrote for Esquire and then with a few additions to kind of like tie everything together it's not really very linear sort of like a bit all over the place but I think that that's 
a good thing. I think it makes it, you know, I think definitely it's, it's a good thing. It makes it more interesting. Um, I would recommend it, definitely recommend it. But I think, again, it's sort of like, you know, the important thing to remember is that it's not like a celebration of it. And it's not, like I've said, a vilification of it either. It's just sort of like, this is what happened. Mm. And, yeah, yeah. It's just um, objective, would you yeah. say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely objective. I mean, I think that everyone can sort of like spout various conspiracy theories about uh, the Vietnam War and the period around the Vietnam War. You know, I think that like the fact that JFK was against it, quite very much against it in terms of escalating the American involvement more than what it was at the time, which was like an advisory role before he died. And then when he died and there was sort of like this ridiculous incident, which was kind of taken out of all proportion by... The Americans, and then it was ba- then basically they had their excuse to go to war, and then you know if you if you look at like how much it costs to make a helicopter, it's like <laughs> an outrageous amount of money. Um, you know, obviously it's like the business magnates in America who benefit from that, and then at the end of the war they mo- they mainly just pushed all of those helicopters into the sea. Um, you know, and like and in the years between that there was you know, thousands of lives lost for no real reason. But yeah, definitely interesting. I'd recommend it. You know, strong recommendation by John Le Carre, who I know that we all recommend. Um, Hunter S. Thompson, there is a quote from him on the back. We have all spent 10 years trying to explain what happened to our heads and our lives in the decade we finally survived. But Michael Hare's dispatches puts the rest of us in the shade. And I think that's... That's really like that's really the crux of the book, you know. It's not like it's not like I've said a few times now. It's not a celebration. It's not a vilification. It's just this is what happened. These are the people that were there, and this is our account. Um, it it mentions various um, war photographers who were famous in their own rights: Tim Page, Dana Stone, Sean Flynn, who was the son of Errol Flynn. For any um, movie buffs who remember who Errol Flynn is. Dana Stone and Sean Flynn, for definite, I've said to Clive, had very interesting lives. And I think to try and understand really my point that I've been trying to put across and the point that I would like to be able to put across in the song that me and Clive do if we eventually do it is quite well summed up in the photographs by any of those men. And um, yeah, definitely recommended reading. Right, this sounds really interesting. Yeah, I like the idea. So it's kind of almost like a selection of short, not necessarily stories, but like you say, they have kind of been linked together. But also, it's more of a collection of. It's just basically like I, I was here in this place because I think that I think it kind of demonstrates what they did because basically they just like got in a helicopter flew somewhere stayed there for a bit then got in a helicopter flew somewhere else and then like obviously any uh, you know um there's a uh, Kaysan which is um quite a famous American marine base in Vietnam and it was basically there right next to the Ho Chi Minh Trail it didn't, never achieved anything it was it, it was not really of any importance and they didn't really do anything from it it was just there for the sake of it really and then it was under siege for quite some time, but not like in a proper way. It was just sort of like under siege. Not like Jim Bien Phu during the French involvement in Vietnam. 
it was, yeah, so he was there for a bit and then he'd just like fly out and just, it's kind of, it kind of is like that, you know, sort of like I'm here, then I'm here and that's how it is. It's sort of like he was in this part of Vietnam, he met this person, he found out a little bit about that person's life, then he flew somewhere else. And yeah, it's kind of written in that, but then sort of like put together with kind of a bit of a background of what was happening in the big picture sort of thing and what was happening historically. So yeah, I think it. I think it definitely makes it more interesting though, because it is sort of like a collection of short, like snapshot sort of thing, rather than anything extended. Or I think that keeps it more uh, authentic too. It's not yeah, sort of like loads of flowery that. language and like prose and you know, like I say, not glorification of anything. And I think that I think that that definitely makes it more of a interesting read. Yeah, this is definitely uh, going on my list. Is if you were recommending someone like me, I'm assuming uh, Josh, you've read a lot of Vietnam books. I could be wrong. No, but... not really. Have you not? Oh, okay. No. Would, would not you say really. this is up there with your, the one your favourite ones that you have read? I think probably yeah. I mean, there was one really good one that I read, read when we were in Surrey called "Once a Warrior King," which was written by uh, an officer in one of the like special forces regiments in the American army where basically they just went off into the middle of the jungle and just stayed there. That was really good, but it was, it's, that's completely different to this one. Uh, the only other book that I've read about Vietnam is called Nam, which was written by Mark Baker. And that's basically just loads of like, um, stories provided to him by various people that were involved in the, in the Vietnam war from a variety of different viewpoints. I would say that this probably, is the best because it's not like a really heavy history book. It's more observational, and I think it's probably more interesting from that point of view, especially for someone who's not maybe not necessarily that interested in in the history of something. Um, you know, just sort of like more as like a social social story sort of thing, but set within the context of a war. So for that reason, I would say that this one is probably the best. Cool. But yeah, I mean, it's only one of three that I've read. So, <laughs> huh, sounds. Has anyone else heard of this or read it? Uh, no, I can't say I have. But um, sounds interesting, though. It's not a topic I know an awful lot about, but um, same, yeah. Always keen to know more. Cool. Right. Let's uh, let's go down to London to David Sweet Peeling to see what he's got <laughs> for us. Sweet David Peeling. <laughs> thank you, thank you guys Lo- um, Lovely voice there, Al Loved it So, uh, yeah, I've been reading quite a lot since we since we last podded Somewhat to the detriment of the media that we discuss in the other podcasts And I've got two to talk about I think I'll probably switch the order I was planning and talk about uh, uh, Talk about a book that is not greatly dissimilar in theme to the one that Josh was talking about In fact, fairly similar indeed it's called um, The Unwomanly Face of War by Svetlana Alexievich. Um, she, um, she's a Belarusian author who grew up, uh, who, who was born at the time when it was part of the USSR, um, and as a young woman learnt, and as along with lots of people in the Soviet Union, the official history of the victory of 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 the of, of the Soviets over the Germans in in what they call the Great Patriotic War we know as World War Two in the in the late nineteen seventies Svetlana was working in a factory 
and was surprised to hear that upon the retirement of an older woman in the office that not only had she com- this this woman had completed 20 something years of, of extremely efficient administration in this uh, collectively owned factory but that she'd also killed several hundred people confirmed as a sniper in Stalingrad she uncovered and did some more research and found out that somewhat disguised from the official histories, more than half a million Soviet women participated at the same level and in the same roles as men in the Second World War. So unlike in the West, where women were primarily served, if they served at all, as um, medics and perhaps, in a, to a limited extent, um, spies in espionage, Women in the Soviet Union were on the front line of the infantry. They were particularly prized as snipers. They drove tanks, uh, were engineers, and also worked on the home front um, as as mechanical engineers on farms. They Soviet women, of course, at that time, were kind of forced to join in in some ways after the Germans uh, invaded the motherland, and. Um, often fought alongside their own sons, um, fathers and husbands. What Svetlana Alexievich has done in this book is she went and interviewed more than 200... Well, more than 200 women appear in the book. I presume she must have interviewed more than that. Uh, And it's a collection of short testimonials from these women uh, about their time in uh, in the Second World War. It's kind of themed around time, so it starts off with these women, the women that are forced or or decide to volunteer, in fact overwhelmingly decide to volunteer to join the army so they can go and um, fight against the Germans um, and uh, goes all the way through to the history of um, the stories of these women after the Second World War. There are great numbers of testimonials here that are absolutely brutal in their nature. They are first-hand um they are are bloody and and brutal and they are spectacular in that it's a whole side of history that i w- was completely closed off to me before i heard about this book alexievich wrote this uh wrote the manuscript in the 1970s submitted it in um in 1983 but was not allowed to publish it because it went against the state-sanctioned history of the war. After Perestroika, after the end of the kind of Soviet Union, the opening up of the you know, kind of destalinization and opening up of the the Soviet Union, it uh, a very censored version came out, uh, and it became a massive bestseller. And the version that we see in the West is a is an even more liberated version than that. Uh, been translated into many different languages. Uh, I read a um, a, a penguin uh, penguin books version that was um, uh, published in well translated and published in 2017. So it was uh, a Penguin Random House. And it's a very well put together book, I must say. Um, the book is, the book is interesting for its testimonials. It's also fascinating for to to gain an understanding of a culture and a time that is so foreign to us living now and in the West uh, and in particular it's fascinating to read about the treatment of these women who often scored uh, or, or committed terrible 
terrible moral sins, but in the defence of their country, only to come back and be completely disowned by their state. It's it's fascinating. Um, it's it's easy enough to drop in and out of because some of these testimonials are only a paragraph or two long. Some are some are much longer than that. If it has any criticism, it's probably that the the stories almost. They sometimes become a little bit difficult to pick out because they do come so thick and fast. Each person in here is credited. Each, each testimonial has a full name at the start of it, except where they've specifically asked not to be credit, credited because their story is so horrific, perhaps, or embarrassing to them, um, or they talk about crimes. Yeah, as I say, the only, the only downside would be that sometimes it's almost a relentless bludgeoning of, of, horror, of, of horror and uh, horrific stories. That said, there are there are some there are definitely highlights here. Some of the questions that are asked are about how women, how these women, uh, tried to live normal lives during the time, and some of the joys they took in the simple pleasures. But it, it it's it's that's absolutely not the focus of this book. Um, the focus of this book is definitely about the changes that these people ha- undertook when they when they went to war. Um, in 19 uh, in 1940 and um yeah it's it's absolutely fascinating i think anyone who has half a history in uh, has half an interest in the history of the second world war or war war in general will find it interesting but also in the context of kind of more recent movements pointing out the kind of extremely valuable contribution that women have made to society that has consistently been misrepresented and underplayed um, there is a there's a fascinating social historical side to this to the to the testimonials in this book as well, um, so I recommend it for the people who are interested in that as well. So yeah, so that's the the unwomanly face of war by Svetlana Alexievich. Mm, it sounds very intriguing. Definitely something I know very little about. <laughs> mm. No, same. I'm um, to be honest with you, I I mean to read more history books. Really, um, I tend not to pick them out. Because there seems to be a daunting amount of them out there. Um, I think I'm going to have to start taking note of the ones that yourself and Josh are recommending. Uh, was it the other downside s- is they just keep on they just keep on making history as well. It's like yeah, well, it just keeps happening. Catch up with yeah. this. It's nonsense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just ludicrous. It never, st- never stops, does it? No. Um, I mean, it, it, would you say this is an easy read? Uh, I guess it depends what you mean by easy. Like there, there's not. Um, it's not complex it's not difficult to follow but um it's not easy in that it's light-hearted because it's it's not you know it's um it can be affecting you know some some of the things that are talked about here women who who self-administer abortions so they can go and follow their brothers into and 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 kill 200 germans at stalingrad and uh, awful stuff there is yeah it's 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 not easy in that sense, but the the way the book is laid out is um, straightforward to kind of to get through and digest in that sense. Cool. It's well translated as far as I can tell. It, it it's uh, it it doesn't seem to lose much of the the kind of um, as far as I can tell. Not being an expert in Russian, but um, it kind of it seems to maintain a kind of Russian character and and gets across a sensibility and a culture that doesn't exist certainly in the West and perhaps not even anymore in Russia itself, but it's, it's easy to read in the English. Cool. Josh, have you heard of this? No, I haven't. It sounds interesting though. Yeah. It sounds like it'd be up your street. Cool. Uh, right. So Al, we're down to you then. The, uh, the beast from the Northeast. Thank you. Um, yeah. Best nickname I've ever had, I think. 
Well, by the Wayne Payne train, that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but that was a self-given nickname. Um, uh, <laughs> you never said that. So, oh, no, somewhat, he has. He is definitely. He relentlessly. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I fear that everyone assumes the Wayne Payne train is an ironic nickname. No, it's meant with in, entire and you know complete sincerity. So uh, literally a train of pain. Yeah, literally a train full of pain from somebody <laughs> called Wayne. Um, I've got. How does that even work? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, I, I've got. I've got definitely have to. just. <laughs> yeah, I've got um, at least one to talk about today. I might talk about two, but uh, first I'm going to talk about is another uh, in the culture series that I've mentioned before in the pod. Um, so that culture series is by Ian M. Banks, the late Ian M. Banks. It's a science fiction series uh, set with residents of the utopian uh, culture. And their interactions with the rest of the galaxy, really. Um, the book I'm talking about today is called The State of the Art, which is a, actually a short story collection. Um, there are eight short stories involved, um, three of which are explicitly part of the Culture series, um, the other five of which could be, could not be. Um, the main short story that's part of this is actually called The State of the Art, and it's uh, set with around a group of Culture uh, agents who are observing Earth over a period of time in the 1970s. So it's kind of their observations on Earth, um, their interactions and their kind of philosophical musings on Earth's, you know, inherent insanity, its you know, desire to destroy itself. Um, this is written in the early 90s, so it does have a slight hangover of the um, of the Cold War era. And it, it's kind of... It, from a historical perspective, it's quite an interesting read in the sense that you can sense that Banks is tapping into how the world would would say look from a Russian perspective and how it would look from an American perspective, and um, it never becomes cheesy because I know it's not it's not a new trope to have an alien species observing humanity. It's you know it's it's well worn, but um, it's really excellently done here and. Um, the main characters in the culture, um, they come from a society which is basically poverty-free, pain-free, money-free. Money you can do whatever you want to do, whatever you know fulfills you, really. Um, but they, in coming to Earth and learning, you know that uh, people on Earth have to go through so much pain and suffering, even to necessarily have, you know, the slightest kind of sense of completion. Uh, they come to question their own way of life. And, you know, they're questioning whether it's possible for them really to be happy having not suffered pain, which I found really interesting, really. I mean, the other stories in The State of the Art are very, are very good as well, but this one, at, it, at 100 pages, is barely a short story. But it's really interesting. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Banks. I've mentioned it before, and I honestly think probably the best sci-fi writer I've ever read. And I can't understand how nothing of his has been adapted yet. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be easy, such as the complexity of the ideas, you know, on show. And they're not necessarily action thrillers, so they don't make an easy translation. But um, this is absolutely ripe, and it's chock full of such creative narrative decisions. And um, I'm a huge fan. I'm, I've got um, I've got the entire series of his books now, of the Culture series, and I'm making my way through them one by one. I tend to at least need to have a rest with a couple of other books first, but um, I would really recommend them. Um, has anybody read any of the Culture series? 
or planning to at all? I'd love to. It's um, yeah, something you've recommended before, and I just haven't got around to it. But does it matter? Do you have to read them in order, or is it no, like different sets of? Not, okay. not at all. Yeah. Um, so uh, pretty much every book in the culture series is set with new characters. Funnily enough, right. the state of the art, the one I'm talking about now, um, that's that short story within the short story collection acts almost as a prequel uh, to the book that came before it. Use of weapons. Um, but it's only very loosely connected. It's not uh, a proper prequel. You could read mm. any of these in any order. Um, no, they're definitely not sequels. You know, they're just part of the same universe. Ah, cool. Which one would you recommend the most as a entry point? <laughs> um, it's it's hard to say really because I, I read the very first one first, thinking that perhaps they were a proper series, in mm-hmm. the sense that they'd be recycling characters. So I did go for. I'm not never sure if I pronounce this right, but it's consider Phlebas or consider Felbus. But anyway, uh, that one still remains my favourite one. Um, it right. starts starts with an ingenious scene where, um, which kind of sends up the whole British British aristocracy, uh, where a spy is being he, he's um, he's strapped to a pole and he's the le- the water levels around him are slowly rising. Uh, but it's not water, it's piss and shit from some aristocrats having a slap-up meal above them. So that's his, you know, torture death. I mean, the the series isn't, you know, comedy, but th- that was a good place to start. Um, but I think probably the best in the series would be The Player of Games, which I believe I've reviewed on this pod as well. Uh, but I, right. I, I would really recommend any of them, really. I haven't, I haven't read one where I thought that wasn't as good so far cool yeah i mean does any does anybody else even read any sci-fi um it's i think it's considered a bit of a hokey genre in some respects uh, <laughs> literature but um josh do you read any sci-fi at all i have tried to read any in bank's book before crow road i think i might have mentioned that yeah so, so yeah that, that's one of that's one of his more standard books so he writes uh, yeah, it's Ian Banks when he's doing kind of standard literature. It's Ian M Banks when he's doing uh, sci-fi or the culture series. Right. Yeah, I mean that's the only book by him that I've um, attempted to read. I found it quite difficult to get into, to be honest. No, fair enough. But um, I don't think so. I don't think sci-fi. No. Um, well, I mean, I've read a Star Wars book, if that counts. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, any interest in sci-fi literature at all? Um, I wouldn't say massively, but I've read a number of uh, Philip K. Dick and uh, a, couple okay. of Vonnegut, a couple of Vonnegut as well. Yeah, well, I mean, Philip K. Dick is probably, um, you know, the best known science fiction author. Um, I think it gets a bit of a bum reputation, um, really, because, you know, there's so many kind of really, you know, airport paperbacks sci-fi that mm. really aren't up to much but um it's like fantasy isn't it yeah well yeah it, it, it's, it's it may as well be the same genre um, yeah but the really but is like within that genre there's some which are absolutely horrendous and then equals uh, equally some which are great you know oh, exactly and I, think, yeah. I think it just depends like because some of the concepts and ideas just great you know but it just depends on how Carney, they are. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the culture series is way ahead of its time. I mean, in terms of, um, you know, in today's society, probably the big civil rights debate now is uh, transgender rights. Um, I mean, the, the whole idea of the culture is you can pick whatever gender you want, 
and you can change that pretty much at will. Mm. Um, so people aren't linked to their gender at birth. Um, and it, it, I don't know, there's just so many things about it that were way ahead of its time. I mean, when you consider this started in the, I believe, the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and it, it still feels like really cutting-edge writing today, or at least to me anyway. Mm, cool. I'll have to check one of these out for deaths. I might get that consider flea bass or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to know how you pronounce that, actually. I've never heard it said out loud other than mm. by people who weren't sure how to say it. If you know, write in, stickaroundpodcast.gmail.com. Tell us how you pronounce it via a written format. Flow, or, you know, flow. attach an audio. Early plug time there. <laughs> you know, getting in the plugs in I early this week. Didn't even spot it happening. It was amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sudden urge to email there. <laughs> seamless. Almost as seamless as this transition to Josh. Oh. <laughs> well, that was so seamless I didn't see it coming. Yeah, I, mean, I literally couldn't see the seams. Um. <laughs> <laughs> or the sense of it, but... No. <laughs> um, okay, the next book I've got to talk about is called The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. Obviously... We've reviewed Neil Gaiman books previously on the pod. Um, in my opinion, this is his best one. Yeah. I don't know if maybe you would classify it as a children's book. I think possibly it is a children's book, but it's, it is, the, in my opinion, his best book. It's illustrated by Chris Riddell, who... He's an illustrator and has written some of books, um, you know, in his own right. He was the um, children... Chris Riddell was the children's laureate between 2015 and 2017. Um, I personally really like his illustrations. Um, I've read books that have been illustrated by him before. Uh, They're definitely very uh, distinctive. Um, And, you know, I think they go well with this this book. Basically, there is a... um, a boy who is known as Bod, and he is a living boy, is raised by some ghosts in a graveyard, and basically sort of like is just, you know, his general adventures within the graveyard with all various different interesting ghosts that he meets, um, and then some back backstory around, you know, what actually happened to his real parents and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, like I read recently, like, um, Neil Gaiman is planning on writing a um, sequel to Neverwhere. I think that there is, like, the scope to take some of the characters in the Graveyard book and write, you know, more books about them. And I think that it would be good if that happened. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just really enjoyable, really easy to read, you know, obviously. But... It's kind of, I mean, it's sort of like a typical Neil Gaiman book in the way that it's written, but it's it's just enjoyable to read. It's kind of it kind of in a way reminds me of Vajak Paul Clive in the way that it's written. Oh, cool. Um because I also think that Vajak Paul is a really interesting book and obviously it is a children's book, but it's kind of still a bit it's sort of like got that dark side to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, the, like the graveyard book is, um, is 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 along those similar lines, really. Uh, there's a character in it called Lisa Hemstock, 
who I think while I was reading it, I fell in love with, which is obviously a bit of a strange thing to say, but you know, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of read this and it was like the second Neil Gaiman book that I'd ever read after Neverwhere. And then after that, I read American Gods, which obviously I've reviewed before. And I've not read anything by Neil Gaiman since because I think that um, American Gods put me off him a bit. But I think that, you know, if, if you want to read like a good book by him, which would kind of, I don't know, I don't know, because I kind of think that like maybe you should stick to writing more simple books, which maybe are for children like the Graveyard Book rather than books like American Gods. But then obviously that's just my opinion. And, you know, I really didn't like American Gods and a lot of people do. So, you know. Do you, do you think that might be because, um, sorry to interrupt, that it's more, he's like a, I think um, Al always says this about Stephen King. He's more of an ideas man and uh, he's got good ideas. But then when it when he's fleshing them out, maybe it's starts to lose it I don't know because I've heard a lot of people say American God sounds like an excellent idea but then yeah. when you read it it's not as interesting as it sounds <laughs> yeah definitely definitely I think that's the truth about American Gods like I think that it potentially could have been really good and just kind of isn't so yeah I get definitely see where you're coming from but I mean I don't know just sort of like it depends really you know because I mean like Neil Gaiman was quite good friends with Terry Pratchett and in, at the minute Good Omens is being adapted as a TV show which was written by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. I've read a few Terry Pratchett books and some of them I really like, others of them I don't. I, re- I, read, one, I read one recently, I can't remember what it was called, but it's one of the, like it started and I thought it was really good and it was really funny and really well written and everything else. And then by the end I was like, oh God, I can't wait to finish this. Um, you know, and I think that it kind of like ran out of steam. Mm. And I kind of think the same about American Gods because American Gods is quite long and it's sort of like referring to all of these different religions from all different cultures. And I think that if you don't have an understanding of that religion and culture, then it, you kind of, it kind of is a bit lost. Um, but, you know, whereas the Graveyard Book is much more simple, but not like in a boring way you know it's, it's really entertaining really good you know and and like um for christmas i got um the latest david walliams book but i just i don't know i just am completely bored of david walliams now like and i've reviewed him before too and again some of his books are really good but i just think that they're just boring now um in my opinion as like a you know nearly 30 year old man i know that i'm not the, <laughs> i'm not the target audience but you know, yeah. Is definitely. it because he's doing more of the same, or? Yeah, more of the same, and I think that like there's obviously obviously all of these comparisons from David Williams to Roald Dahl, um, and I kind of just think that like he's just trying to be Roald Dahl, and I think he's trying to put in all of these like PC topics, you know, and put all of these like different people from different backgrounds in, which is only a criticism because I think he's doing it for the sake of doing it. But yeah, to stick with like actually talking about Neil Gaiman and the Graveyard book, um, definitely really good. I hope that he writes more. Um, like uh, Bod's um, companion in the Graveyard is called Silas, and I think really if it was sort of like you know if there was going to be if it was going to become a series, then it would be more following Silas because he's a really interesting character. Um, so yeah. Um, I would be. I would definitely like to read more Neil Gaiman books, but I have been put off by American Gods, and I don't really know 
which one to get next. But for anybody who hasn't read it, then this one is definitely worth reading, without a doubt. This sounds right on my street. I like children's books. Yeah, I think that you'd it's like about it. growing up as a kid like that. <laughs> is it quite yeah. philosophical at all? Or? Not really. <laughs> no, okay. It, it just sounds really. like it might be. No, I wouldn't say so. Um, it's just, it's just like entertaining, you know. Good cool. story, interesting story, entertaining, worth reading. Excellent. Sounds good. It's going on the list. I'm intrigued because I've only read Neverwhere, which I really liked, and I've not. I've keep meaning to read others. Um, American Gods wasn't one of them. I can't remember. I gave one to my brother as a present, which he really liked. Um, I'll have to find out what it's called. And I want to read that one. That's another one that's quite big, I think. But yeah, I did really like Neverwhere, so I need to yeah, I check really out like some Neverwhere. more. It, it, it's definitely more like Neverwhere than American Gods. Cool. Which, in my opinion, is a good thing. Awesome. And I think Neverwhere had some, didn't have like tons of illustrations in it, but it did have some from what I remember. And I quite liked it. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like this one. It's it's not like really massively illustrated. It's just like every now and again there's a full page illustration. Cool. I do really yeah. like Chris Riddle's illustrations. Uh, like I said, very distinctive, you know, and yeah, goes well with this book. I mean, I would kind of like to read some of Chris Riddle's books that he's written himself as well, but um, you know, I've not I've not found one that's taken my fancy yet. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Right, uh, we're back round to Dave then, down in London. Thank you. So, um, the other book I was going to talk about is quite different from my first one. Um, It's one of of the books written by uh, comedian Stuart Lee called How I Escaped My Certain Fate, The Life and Death of a Stand-Up Comedian. Um... It's uh, it was written um, uh, a couple of years back now, and um, it charts a story of um, Stuart Lee's uh, return to stand up. So, for those that don't know, Stuart Lee, uh, for those who really don't know, is a British comedian. Um, for those that don't know his full history, he um, spent a decade uh, in the comedy world and writing TV shows with his comedy partner uh, Richard Herring and then left stand-up in 2001. Um, He then went off to uh, direct the the loss-making but critically acclaimed Jerry Springer the musical and Hmm. then uh, returned to stand-up comedy. This book is, uh, like I say, it's, it's, it's autobiographical um, to an extent, but the majority of it are essentially transcripts of his first um, return, his first three, I think, um, sets after he returns to um, to the stand-up world, which are then framed around, uh, are then are then kind of complemented with autobiographical stories from around the time, and feature very very extensive footnotes. Uh, I think the longest I saw was three sides long, but they <laughs> there, there are there's a footnote on every single page of this book. Uh, it contains all the kind of things that you're used to with Stuart Lee. The transcripts are transcripts of sets that you, you some of them are, are sets that you can't find on DVD anymore, but uh, some bits and pieces you may well recognise from things like his comedy vehicle if you've watched that. 
but uh, are interesting to read uh, for the for the um, for the masses and masses of context, background digs at other famous people, um, credits given to um, other comedians, some of whom you you'll know. I mean, there's lots here about the role Richard Herring played in in his kind of. Um, development and but there are also comedians that I'm much less familiar with but I now definitely want to go and read all about there's also um, lots of stories here about the kind of the kind of time in which Lee and Harry both entered the the stand-up comedy world just very shortly after alternative comedy had made it big and um, they found themselves uh, coming along just after those alternative comedians that had kind of overturned the long-standing Cambridge Footlights um, kind of foothold on on British comedy, only to see that those alternative comedians had already started selling out. Um, Stuart Lee has a great deal of vitriol reserved here for Ben Elton, for example. So yeah, so it's it's this is a this is a very easy read in lots of different ways. It's almost almost a toilet book. It might be a very good toilet if you really you know really saving yourself up on a sunday um <laughs> really backed up yeah yeah Thank absolutely you. it it it's definitely a book that um complements a um a protein diet <laughs> they um it, it's 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 really straightforward really easy to read it's definitely um one you can pick up and put down although the chapters themselves are spectacularly long and rambling um it's not something that is that you can't you know pick up just just midway through yeah if you're if you're half a fan of Stuart Lee you'll definitely definitely enjoy this book if you're a fan of uh, kind of British comedy particularly um kind of how we've kind of got from late nine the early mid late 90s to now um it's interesting for that as well so that's Stuart Lee's How I Escaped My Certain Fate I've read this one as well um I've got two books by Stuart Lee, that one and If You Prefer a Milder Comedian, which um both very entertaining, but this one in particular was. Um, I really enjoyed the little notes he makes on certain jokes. Yeah. Um, often at the bottom of the page, um, kind of deconstructing his own comedy, which is always interesting because up until reading something like that, I would have found it hard to really determine how a comedian builds their jokes, how it's all structured. Yeah. And you come to understand that nothing is accidental about Stuart Lee's performance. Whereas it appears that he's riffing off something, he's really not most of the time. Um, you know, it's planned within a second, you know. And he he has a certain expectation about an audience's reaction. Uh, obviously one of my favourite comedians around, possibly my favourite. I've seen his last four shows. Um yeah, I, I loved it. Um you're a fan of Stuart Lee as well, aren't you, Clive? Am I making? That yes, up? I am. Yeah, I I have not read any of the books. I'd be interested to, um, but I've seen him live, and I don't really like him. And I've I've watched a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's probably my favourite comedian. He, he, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, he deconstructs his jokes. He kind of does that on his uh, performances sometimes as well, doesn't he? As part of the act. He does. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is, which is uh, always uh, a part of the act. I always found really interesting. <laughs> it's, An interesting it's, style. Yeah. He simultaneously uh, makes you feel like you're being extremely clever and it is a comedy aimed at a very kind of highfalutin type of audience, but then he also goes to great lengths to explain every single thing he's ever said. So you, <laughs> so you absolutely do not miss the joke. 
Well, I, 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 I love him. I absolutely love him. Yeah, I'm going to go see him in a couple of months. Oh, cool. For the third time on this tour, I think. Josh, are you a fan of Stuart Lee? Yeah, I love Stuart Lee. Yeah, I've seen him a few times. Yeah, I do really love him. I've never been tempted to read one of his books, but I do love his stand-up. I mean, a, a lot of... He, Dave's obviously read it a lot more recently than I have, but as far as I remember, a lot of this book is just a few of his stand-up routines in written format and explained. Yeah. Um, it's definitely but, a a complement to his stand-up. It's not a book like... It's not an autobiography as in it's all about Stuart Lee's life. It's it's almost like a um a kind of director's commentary on the stand up that you that you know. Yeah, cool. Um right, okay. Uh we're we're up to the hour mark, so we're approaching the end. Um Al, have you did you say you had one more for us? Uh no, not properly. Um I'll briefly mention Ooh, something properly. I'm still I'm still reading. You'll do it half fast. Uh, well, it's going to be half a review because I'm halfway through it, um, <laughs> right. but I will mention it. Uh, I'm reading at the minute uh, A Delicate Truth by John Le Carre. Um, oh, yeah. one, one of his more recent works from 2013. Um, it's set in the in more or less the present day as well, uh, around 2009, 2010. Um, I'm not going to go into it in a great deal of detail, but it's about uh, the monetization and the privatization of war, essentially. Um, it seems to be one of Le Carre's most stinging political books and it's interesting to read a Le Carre novel that is relevant to the time whereas his you know, his all time classic The Spy Who Came In From The Cold is a Cold War commentary um, this is relevant to you know, or at least the relatively recent past kind of fail, failed wars I think I might have read it were you a fan? you're going to have to remind me of what happens it starts off in Gibraltar yeah, I was going to say, is it in Gibraltar? It's yeah, started. I did enjoy it, yeah. I mean, um, I don't necessarily enjoy... I much prefer, well, no, I much prefer spy novels set during the Cold War because I find them more interesting. Uh, but this book was a really good book. I did enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been a fan of this stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm only about halfway through and I've been... Obviously, if it goes sour from here, I might have a bad review of it, but so far, I'm a big fan. <laughs> No, yeah, I think I think it's pretty solid all the way through. Uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I said it's just a different perspective from Le Carre. It's um, it's not just a almost piece of historical fiction. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing for me with Le Carre is just like Smiley is such a good character, and I I don't really enjoy any of the uh, Le Carre books without him as much as the ones that I do have him. But this book is really good. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I still think the spy came in from the cold is his best novel, and while yeah. Smiley is in it a little Correct. bit, he's he is you know a small part of the novel. Um, mm. I still need to read Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Actually, I, I saw the film version, which I, which I loved. But, the um, book is better than the film. Yeah, I mean that's not that's not really a controversial statement, is it? You haven't made a no, controversial I just stubbed statement my toe, today. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> You haven't made a controversial statement. <laughs> you haven't said anything controversial, Josh. Have you got an opinion you'd like to venture on something, maybe? It doesn't have to be book related. Uh, hmm. <laughs> you think, think on that. Like, like for instance, if, if you were to say that Frosties were better than Crunching at Cornflakes, you'd be wrong, and that would be quite controversial. Um, no, I think I'd probably agree with that. Although chocolatey squares are the best cereal and the only cereal worth eating. <laughs> that's probably a big statement. <laughs> Chocolatey squares. What? I yeah. don't even know. What those yeah, they are, are good cereal, and then said it's the only one worth eating. They're available from Aldi or Lidl, so you know if you're on a budget. Ah, so you, perfect. 
Yeah, they do definitely. sound delicious. I mean, I love things that are square shaped and chocolate. Well, they're perfect for you. They're head and shoulders above <laughs> any, other, any other cereal available on the market. Wow. I mean, I'm a, I'm a muesli man myself, but yeah, well, of course you know, you are, yeah. chocolate. I don't squares. stoop to your sugary chocolate muesli's cereal. Got, muesli's got loads of sugar in. Uh, not my style. I get the Clive style muesli. What? What? The sugarless muesli. <laughs> yeah. Just like have all the sugar sucked out of it. Uh, is a <laughs> no. I, I I do try and get the sugar-free options, but yeah, you're right. The uh, Swiss style muesli does have quite a lot of sugar. In, it. in fact, the Swiss. They put a lot of sugar in a lot of stuff. I'm nearly American. Yeah, so, you know, like, people walk down the street, like, eating an apple or whatever, saying, look how healthy I am, but an apple is full of sugar. If you're going to, you know, you might as well just go whole hog, mightn't you? <laughs> yeah, just fuck it. Have a Mars bar. Yeah, yeah, have don't have, don't, don't have your porridge. Have a chocolatey square. Well, don't have a. <laughs> have have multiple bowls of chocolatey squares. Why, why eat anything healthy? I mean, I mean at this point, I would like, for legal reasons, to let listeners know that we are not trained nutritionist <laughs> at least Speak I'm for yourself. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I am I am and you should definitely eat chocolate squares yeah I call him I call him Dr Gillian McClive <laughs> <laughs> but I know more than her I mean she just chats a lot of shite but no. you know Clive, I'm, anyway, where the, I'm where the real truth is at Clive have you been reading anything anyway we haven't really heard from you today um oh thanks for asking thought you'd never ask <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> Well, actually, I, did, I have been reading a bit, and I've read a book and two sort of comic-y books, but I wanted to prepare stuff, but um, it's February album writing month, so I'm writing lots of music and haven't had time. Oh, that's what it stands for. <laughs> so I haven't had time to really prepare, but basically I've been reading um, Peanuts, so the Snoopy comic, which is obviously a, you know, a daily American strip uh, written and illustrated by Charles Schultz which ran from in 1950 to 2000, so a pretty uh, epic run. In fact, um, it's somebody quoted, I don't know who, arguably the longest uh, story ever told by one human being, which I suppose you couldn't really dispute. Uh, well, there is um, Roy, Roy Battersby's second novel, of course. Oh, that's true. <laughs> probably beats it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, words words are more important anyway, aren't they? Than the pictures, so. <laughs> well, uh, that's why I've been reading these, you know, fed up of words. And uh, minimal, you know, maximum of 10 words a page here, which is a good ratio, one that I can deal with. Re I've read vol volume one, so there's 26 volumes, so, you know, I'm making my way through them. I'm currently halfway through volume two. Volume one is covers 1950 to 1952 and um, was really interesting, I thought, because uh, the characters look quite different to what I know. Uh, Snoopy, for example, is on four legs and a lot of the characters are babies when they're later they're, they're kids. It's great to see it kind of find its feet. Um, it's clever. It's like been consistently amusing. It's never like laugh out loud funny as such, but um, it's just like a really comforting thing to read. And I'm really looking forward to making my way through the uh, the next 25 volumes over the next uh, <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, and um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it develops over the time. Um, it's quite. It's the the one negative I think it has is it's very so far I'm sure this might change but it's quite it obviously it's four panel strips because uh, that's the way these things were done back in the day I don't know if they still are but and each one's quite individual so it never really builds up to anything it's usually a four panel strip and then that's it and then the next one's about something unrelated and then on Sunday there's a a, a longer strip uh, sort of a page but it still feels everything's very sort of individual and it doesn't although in a sort of greater scheme of things thing you know the kids are growing up and things it's not really a long narrative as such and doesn't even have really short narratives within it. it's just lots of 
weird situations and observational things that are really funny. Um, but but I'm really, really liking it. I've also read uh, Calvin and Hobbes, which is another comic that I hadn't heard of really until I started looking into what to read. And it's another daily comic strip by American cartoonist Bill Watterson, I believe you pronounce it, which was ran from 1985 to 95. 85 to 95, yeah. Um it's specifically i've read it's a magical world which is the last collection of the comic which uh, covers from march 95 to december 95 so quite a short period and features the last strip he wrote uh, of the comic which is a fantastic strip and i should i recommend you look it up it's a a, a real highlight and it's in fact that one that made me want to read the rest of it because i thought it was fantastic it covers basically calvin's a kid um and his hobbs is his sort of fluff stuffed tiger who only he sees alive um it's a really it's one of those comics that's definitely aimed at adults i think because i mean it uses lots of you know adult language like he ref- not swear words i'm talking big words uh, <laughs> for example he refers to his pavement poetry as um sidewalk sidewalk postmodernism. uh he <laughs> He claims he's on the cutting edge of avant-garde when his teacher uh, tells him to stop sketching ridiculous things. Um, I think, I can't remember, some sort of dinosaur in a car he's sketching at the time, I can't remember. Um, and he kind of, he just looks at childhood with a really kind of adult's wisdom. He's like a, a kid with, you know, who's as wise as an adult really, but still uh, sees the pointlessness of living things like an adult and how actually things are more enjoyable when you're a kid. <laughs> I don't know. He, he, he throws a new perspective into things which I really, really like, and this is, at the minute, I'm preferring it to Peanuts, but I think it's probably just because I've, you know, read the last one as opposed to the first Peanuts, which, you know, this has now had time to develop. And, yeah, this one has made me laugh out loud quite a lot, and it's a little bit different in that it seems to be, not always, but quite a lot of the time, Watterson, in his weeks, he... Again, he has the big panel on Sunday, but the the week kind of builds up and it's more of a little chapter than every strip being completely isolated. And I think that works really well because it means the jokes can kind of build up to uh, something a bit bigger on, you know, day four or five of the week or even on the, the Sunday panel. So I think that's why I found it possibly a bit more laugh out loud funny because that format uh, lends itself a bit more to building up more interesting jokes. But um, I'm sure Peanuts will develop and uh perhaps come a bit more like that i don't know it'll be interesting to see but i'm really enjoying them i just find uh they're a really kind of relaxing thing to do on like a you know a, a night before i have to go to sleep before school and it's it seems to be the only form of reading i can do in bed without falling asleep uh any other book i always wake up with you know the book on my on my head or <laughs> uh, forgot to set my alarm or some shit so i've just stopped doing it whereas this i can do without falling asleep which is nice i don't know why it must be something to do with the pictures but Maybe I'm just a kid. Who knows? So yeah, I've been enjoying those. I've also read another book, but I'll probably save that to uh, for the next pod because uh, we're running pretty long. Anyone else read many uh, or any comics at all? I've read Garfield. I, I like Garfield more than Peanuts. Um, so yeah, I like I like Garfield. I've not read much, but I know my mum used yeah, to read it. I, I used to have quite a few books, Garfield books, when I was little, and ah, I cool. thought they were really funny. Yeah, my mum's a big fan. Cool. Maybe I'll check that one out at some point as well. Awesome. Uh, no one else then? Al, have you read any? You've read some graphic novels, haven't you? I know you'd... Uh, oh, well, you know. I've read plenty in my time. Uh, nothing really recently, though. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, the, Obviously, the last, Walkman's the last your favourite, graphic... right? Um, watch yeah, me, probably. Yeah, Watchmen, <laughs> probably, yeah. Um, the last one I read was The Invisibles uh, by Grant Morrison. 
which is an interesting piece of work actually. I didn't quite get into it, but um, it was pretty good. Yeah. Ah, cool. Interessant. Right. Um, th- throw us a bone, Al. Ah, well, is it that time again? Um, well, I think so. Shit. Unless does anyone else have anything shit. else? <laughs> shit, shit, shit. <laughs> stall, Clive. Stall. Um, I thought you were going somewhere with that shit, shit, shit. I thought it was a no, part no, of a big, oh, no. big, big scheme. No, yeah. if this appears like it's some um, really well-crafted joke, it's not. I've, I've, I've got nothing. <laughs> nothing. Uh, what? What? Well. Fuck it then. Let's just go straight into Super Happy Fun Time Expansion Zone. Doodly do do do. Yeah. Get in contact with the show. Stick around podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also go stickaroundpodcast.com slash contact. There's a form on there, drop down menus, all that jazz. Or you can just tweet us or do that thing where you like message on Twitter that confuses me. I think you're still restricted to 140 characters. Weird. Or maybe maybe it's 280 now, don't know. Um, you can go to stickaroundpodcast.com. We've got articles. We've got every single episode we've ever done, 100 and something by now. Um, so, you know, all five-star content, no let-up. It's just constant, amazing content. Um, we're on at stickaroundpodcast. At stickaroundpodcast. We don't talk about cod. I've eaten a cod once, but I can't really give an in-depth review. Stickaroundpodcast on Twitter. Stickaroundcast even. Fucking hell, it's not a... Cod or pod in there, Jesus Christ! Mess this up, Al. Because you haven't thrown me a bone. Oh, it's just, is it because I didn't give bone. you a good plug time? Um, yeah, you fucked it. I'm doing it all myself. Shit! Just steering the ship through stormy seas. Stick around, cast on Twitter. Plug. You've got a new plug. Yeah. Go on then, plug it. Plug it. Well, it's not an actual plug. Well, it is an actual plug. It's not like a plug to talk about. You know. Oh, you've got a. Oh, well, you've, <laughs> I, bought, I got you've a got a plug. plug. I got a new plug for my sink. Ah, oh, oh, a sink plug. That's a bit more interesting. I thought it was going to be a plug that you plug in the wall. Is oh, it uh, anything I, particularly I, great about it, sink, or is my it sink standard has got plug? A new plug? No, I don't know. It's a pretty average plug, I would say. Was... Average, right? Okay. Unlike slash. this plug, um, <laughs> slash stick around podcast on Facebook or stick around podcast on Instagram. You can. Um, I've just set up a just giving page. I sh- if I knew the bloody link, that would be useful, wouldn't it? I don't know the link. Uh, go on Just Giving, search for Stick Around, we'll come up. Um, you can give some money to Shelter, but also give money to... Josh, is yours still open? Oh, yeah. Yeah, plug it. There you go, you do have um, something to plug. Okay, my other plug. So I've got a couple of months to reach my target of £500. I think I'm on about just over 300 at the minute. Um, from looking at last year, I raised about £520, so, you know... 500 is hopefully like a, an achievable target. Um, Do you want to if, explain to the listeners what you'll be doing to... Uh, oh, I've already done it. Oh. So last year I ran 500 miles, which in, included quite a few half marathons, um, multiple 10Ks. Um, yeah, I was intending, showing up to, now. intending to run 500 miles, but I ran 503, uh, including oh. my final half Money back. My final half, well, you know, value for money if you spend £1. It should be more like £1.20 or something. He's gone the extra mile. <laughs> that Whee. should be extra three miles. Three. Uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah, so if you go on Virgin Money Giving and search for Josh Keefley Runs, um, then you will find me. I'll, um, I'll, stick a, uh, I'll stick a link on the Twitter, so yeah. keep an eye out for that. That's yeah. Keefley, Keefley spelled not how it's said. 
K E I G H L E Y, just in case somebody's looking. Just in case for... you were going to put in K E E F L E Y. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just in case there's any, you know, morons that listen. Right, that's our listenership right down. <laughs> no more sponsors for me. Quite popular among dyslexic people, Josh, I'll have you know. Who have now all been... A dyslexic offended. person probably be able to spell my name. <laughs> oh dear. Right, um, anyway, I found that link. Just giving to give money to Josh. Um, if you've still got some money, you know, if you're just loaded and just want to throw money around, then uh, go to justgiving.com slash fundraising slash stick around. You can give some money to um, stick arounds... Uh, you know, we're giving some money to shelter to help uh, the homeless situation in the UK, which is uh, getting worse and worse. Um, we've only set our target at two hundred pounds, so mainly because I like to smash targets. So let's sort of <laughs> smash this one. Um, uh, to explain, my charity is Operation Orphan, who are uh, a charity based in Nottingham, who raise money for orphan children uh, around the world, including in the UK. So I feel like this is a bit of a charity off, Josh. So. Uh, no, you, I just you, thought, you know, I'm not like raising money for my own benefit. I am actually doing it for charity. <laughs> this is not, yeah, this is, yeah, it's not just so we can buy some new running shoes after the 500 yeah. miles. Actually, would, would, would one pair last for 500 miles? Yeah, yeah, my, my, pair is, my pair is still going strong. Oh, that's impressive. I'm not as heavy footed as Clive, you know, I've got a better running style. Oh, boo. <laughs> it's because I was going so fast that they set fire. Which yeah, an issue. Yeah, there's definitely no speed involved for my running. <laughs> uh, right, I think we're um, I think we're done. We'll be back with music next, isn't it? Josh, get involved. Yes, Mr. Keithley, we want you involved if you're not too busy um, running. <laughs> I think what okay. I'll do, Josh, is I'll plunk you in every every group and then uh, if you're free, get involved in whichever one you like. Alright, I have I have sold all of my games apart from one, so maybe leave me out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> you can talk about the one that you've not sold. Endlessly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Until one of you also plays it. <laughs> what is it? I'm interested. <laughs> uh, Rugby League Live. Oh, boo. It has to be number three. Only number three. Right, if okay. you play number four, I'm not interested. <laughs> it's very niche. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's possibly a niche offshoot podcast there somewhere um right thanks for uh coming along the beast from the northeast alex wayne you are most welcome clive you've been Thank particularly you beastly this episode oh, yeah. you, you, you're welcome uh thanks for coming along david sweet peeling thank you you've been particularly sweet this episode um and uh josh you know walking highlight reel or whatever it was well done. You've Thank you. well, the running Thank highlight you. reel. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming along. Hopefully, see oh, you thanks soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. It's been a pledge, as they say in the biz. Um, right, yeah, we'll see you for music next time and then other stuff uh, as we keep this funky train going. Please tell your friends and subscribe. Give us goddamn reviews on iTunes. We've still only got one review. We know uh, we've got tons of listeners. Stop being lazy asses. Get on <laughs> iTunes. Give us a review. Five stars. Um, or one star. Yeah, so they into we, them, yeah. Clive. We want to be, po- be polarising. Um, so, in fact, the only, the only review we've got is five stars, so maybe the next one's a one star, please. Because, um, yeah. <laughs> Don't want to get too big for our boots. And um, Although then we'll come out as having an average of three, which is not what I want. Although maybe that's good. 
Oh, I don't fucking know. Anyway, just <coughs> do what you want as long as it's five star or one star. Bye. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe. It's Stick Around.